Hello and welcome to the Violin Geek Podcast. I'm Laurel Thompson and we're going to be doing practice mastery number two today. If you've listened to practice mastery number one, you will have already gathered all the tips for how to practice and today is going to be what to practice. It's a little bit more challenging for me to present this, I feel, because we have different levels of players out there in the podcast audience, as well as different styles, some really classical people and some people playing, you know, all sorts of fiddle and world music genres. So I'm going to try and be as general as I can while at the same time trying to go as deep as I can into some of the issues that you may be experiencing and how we might clean those up, the technique stuff, and then for the repertoire side of things, uh, some of the things that we might be thinking about uh, to include into our practice time. Before we get started with that, I want to welcome everyone to 2013, which is pretty pretty darn incredible, and to say that I am ramping up my teaching studio this month, and I have some space for some new students. So if you are inspired by the topics that I cover on this podcast, or you have some topics and issues that you want to bring to the table and, and really go deep with, then please send me an email. My email address is laurel at laurelthompson.com, L-A-U-R-E-L-T-H-O-M-S-E-N. And I am available for in-person lessons if you're on the central coast of California, and I'm available for people in other areas of the country or world online via Skype as well. And um, I'm available for weekly lessons and then also for short term, uh, you know, if you have a particular topic, you want to master vibrato or you want to get over stage fright or you want to prepare a certain piece for an audition or become more musical and learn how to interpret your pieces better. Who knows? Um, We could do like a series of lessons or even just one lesson. And, uh, that's, that's always actually how we, how we start. We need to make sure we have good rapport and, uh, then we can go from there. So anyways, um, yeah, I've been really blessed with some awesome students coming in recently and, um, just really looking forward to helping you out if, uh, if that's what you need. All right. So practice mastery number two, what to practice. So, um, Let's start with some ideas if you have certain technical issues. So um, I've been writing a book since 2009, (laughs) which is right before Strings Magazine picked me up. And then I wrote, you know, dozens of articles for them and two um, technique and Boeing guide uh, video and, uh, and book series. So I've been busy. Um, but the book is actually in a rough draft form and I'm hoping that this year I will actually finish that. But in that book, I talk about a pyramid of technique. Um, so basically building up from the bottom, um, like phase one, your foundation, what is the basic stuff that you need in order to play well? Well, we have bow hold, we have posture, we have instrument hold. So really posture is, is there at the bottom because if we can only play for five minutes and then we're starting to experience pain, then that that's definitely going to limit our ability to practice and, and, uh, perform. So, um, so that could be something that you look at right at the beginning of your practice time. What to practice? How are you standing? Are you breathing? Um, 
you know, a good, a good way to kind of take check of posture is to video record yourself. I had one student recently and um, she was noticing some stuff about, um, not so much her posture, but I guess, um, her, her bowing and just the fact that she was holding her breath a lot. And, um, I, it was awesome. It was awesome that she was able to, to bring that stuff to the table. And then we could, we could really dive in and work on why some of those things might be happening. So the first step really is awareness. So awareness of your posture, awareness of your instrument hold, is it comfortable? Um, especially when we're first starting off, we think, oh, well, I'll just get used to this. It feels kind of awkward. You know, if we think about it, the violin is not the most ergonomic instrument that we could be playing, but believe me, it can feel very, very natural, just an extension of your body. Same with the bow. The bow is your tool for expression. Can the bow be something that you cradle in your hand and you're able to draw gorgeous tones or gritty tones or, you know, accents or whatever you want out of those strings through that bow? Or is it kind of awkward and your bow hold feels like a claw and it's so tense and so tight and there's pain there, you know? It's like if that kind of stuff is happening, whoa, we need to back up. Like we, we can't, we can't even be practicing scales until that stuff is cleaned up. So that's the first level. And hopefully that opens your eyes to some ideas that, you know, you might start to look at. How can I hold my instrument better? Do I need a new chin rest? That's often the place that I start with people if it's uncomfortable. The chin rest should be, like if you just took a mold of your chin, that should be your chin rest. So all of these Guarneri and Strad model chin rests that are flat, um, kind of flat across the top, they're not designed for most people's uh, chins and necks. So um, you can just go to chinrest.com actually, that's a good site, and you can see different chin rests that actually do fit the average person or a range of average people, um, the typical people out there, and, um, and that can give you just open your eyes to a new awareness, you know, shoulder rests would come next if you use one or some sort of pad or, um, you know, it's really a personal thing, but, um, but, but take the time, you know, if you take a couple of days of practice just to find a good instrument hold, that will be practice well spent. Um, for the bow hold, go and check out my Improve Your Bowing Technique. It's available through String Letter Publishing. You can go to my website, laurelthompson.com. Go to the writing page. Um, it's the tab over on the far right-hand side, and it's just the first link there. You can link to it, or it is linked through other areas of the website as well. Um, all right, so moving on to the next level of this pyramid, we have... The left hand and the left finger movement, so all of the all of the fingering stuff and moving up and down the fingerboard. So we're going from instrument hold to to okay, so now I'm holding the instrument and now what am I doing with my fingers and what am I doing with my arm? Is that natural? Um, the fingers have a few different movements that they make. They go side to side. So say if you're um, going from one first finger on one string to one first finger on the next string, they make that motion. They obviously go up and down the fingerboard. And then they do diagonal motions. Say you're on the A string on a violin and you're playing a C natural, and then you need to go and play an F sharp. Um, also with that second finger on the D string in first position. So that would be a, um, a diagonal movement. So those are all movements that, that we can practice. We can practice them um, just making up little ditties, you know. I'll demonstrate that in a moment, but um, if this is your first 
the first time you picked up your instrument today, then I would even back up a step further and just start to warm up your hand without the bow. And uh, I really like this little exercise. I might have shared it before. Um, we're over 60 episodes at this point, so I've, I've kind of lost track of what I've shared and what I haven't. So if this is a repeat for anyone out there, I apologize, but it's a really good one. So, um, so do this with me. Just cradle your instrument as if it's a ukulele. Um, you don't need to use the right hand, but it's nice to be able to see the fingers and um, and to be able to set up the hand where you can see if there's tension. So that's why we do it this way, but you, but you can totally do it in playing position as well. And um, you can make up your own patterns, but I'm gonna give you a couple patterns that you can practice. So you're just gonna place your first finger on like the low A there on the G string. So we're just in first position, first finger. And then second, uh, second finger we're gonna put on, let's do an F sharp on the D string. We're going to do a D on the A string, so just that third finger, and then reach up for that B fourth finger on the E string. So you've got kind of a wide spread. It looks like some kind of guitar chord, right? Now the next step, you would move your thumb so that all of your fingertip placements feel very, very comfortable. So for me, that, that moves my thumb so that it is kind of positioned between where the first and the second fingers are. And what that's helping to do is create a nice wide spread in my knuckles. So it's like the first finger is reaching back a little bit, the fourth finger is reaching up a little bit. If you've listened to the intonation workout series that I did way, way back when I started this podcast in 2010, then um, this will be familiar to you. Now I want you to just kind of wiggle around in your wrist, check out your forearm, make sure everything's comfortable. You shouldn't be having a death grip here. This should just be, okay, yes, I am stretching my knuckles right now, but, um, but I'm okay. If there's any pain, please stop. Um, okay, so then you would just pick a finger and you start tapping it, maybe 10, 15 times. So let's, uh, let's do this together. So second finger, tap, 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 tap. And you wanna audibly hear this. So you're tapping from the knuckle in the back and just like a lever. And then let's move to third finger. Not quite as strong, but it'll get there. And then why don't we do first finger. Again, tapping from the back. So it's not just the fingertip that's fluttering, you really want the whole finger moving like a lever. So there's a lot of strength here. This will help with finger velocity. Let's go to fourth finger. It will also help with um, your ability to um, have that, that really fast brain connection between um, between all your fingers. So if you see a note on the page, then your finger will automatically respond. All right, so that's one diagonal across the strings. I like to do the other diagonal, and then you can mix it up once, say, and then your hand's gonna be really warmed up. This really helps with circulation. And um, you know, we're athletes when we play this instrument. Our playing field is very small compared to football players. <laughs> But um, but it's still, we need to warm up. We need to make sure that our muscles are, um, are pumped full with blood. Okay, so we're gonna go the opposite way. Let's start with the E string with first finger. You could do, why don't we do an F natural? We're gonna go way back by the nut there. Why don't we do a C natural? So this is gonna be um, on a different string, but um, on the A string here, but it's gonna look like a whole step. We're gonna do all whole steps this time and really stretch you out. Okay, the next one we're gonna go to D string and do a G with that third finger, and then we're gonna stretch all the way across and do the D on the G string. So all of your fingers should look like they are about an inch apart. 
Next step is to figure out a thumb position that's gonna be comfortable. Now this one, I feel like I kinda have to come over to the E string side a lot more. So I'm really um, kind of pitching my fingers over towards um, the inner the inner edge, The if I was in playing position, the left side of all these strings. And I'm um, just trying to be as comfortable as I can. Find a way where all the fingertips can be evenly pressed, but again, not a death grip. So here my thumb is, it's almost going above the second finger actually. This is a crazy chord, okay. So let's start with the third finger here. Tapping. Let's do the first finger. Let's do the second finger. And let's do the fourth finger. All right. So now just drop that hand by your side, hold your instrument of course, <laughs> and feel, you could even put your instrument down and feel the difference between the two sides, your left hand and your right hand. Pretty different, you might even be feeling a little bit of tingling in um, the back of your hand on the left hand, maybe a little bit in your palm. You may even see if you compare the two hands, you may see that your left hand is a little bit more pink. Um, there might even be some of those speckles of uh, circulation, kind of the white and pink speckles. Maybe, maybe not. But, um, but you should definitely feel like, particularly in the back of the hand and across the knuckles, you have a much wider spread. You could even try that. Like if you spread all of your fingers out, can that hand spread further than the other hand? Well, probably because it just has to do that in general when we're playing. It has more of a reach rather than the bow hold, which doesn't have as much of a reach. But but you should just def just definitely feel like, you know, now you can launch into your practice and um, and you're gonna be safe. That's, that's the most important thing. You're not going to be, um, you know, working with cold muscles. All right, so then these little ditties that I'm talking about where you could practice your finger motions. Um, so we had the, just sort of um, side to side motion. So you could go just, uh, you know, through all of your fingers. Could do different finger patterns. So that was like a major finger pattern with the second and third fingers close together. You could do something different. You could do like a low first finger, um, you could do, why don't we do, we can do all the whole step ones. Um, so like a, starting with a low first finger, so a, an A flat. E flat, B flat, F, A flat, F, C, G, C, G, D, A, D, A, B, B. You know, you could go back down. Um, you could do, yeah, just, you know, you could go back and forth just between the two strings. Just whatever it takes and really when you're doing that you're just making sure that like when you're doing the tapping you would be just moving from the the back of the knuckle there um, okay so then I talked about the up and down motion so that's like those in um, intermediate intonation workouts <laughs> you come up with. Um, it could be scale stuff, it could be working on thirds, um, like the 
Um, just moving, moving the fingers in that motion. I mean, all of this, you know, just a couple minutes each, just to get the fingers warmed up and to be moving from, again, the, the, the knuckles to make sure your hands set up such that the fingers can all be um, moving with even pressure. So a lot of times it's that fourth finger that doesn't get as much um, ability to have good, um, good, a good strong attack. And um, you can listen again to those intermediate, intermediate intonation workouts for, um, for some ideas and tips with that fourth finger, especially, and setting up your hand. So then I talked about the diagonal movements. Um, again, you could just kind of make, make something up. It could be um, one finger to another finger. It could be the same finger. So, um, so if it's the same finger, we could do like what I said, the, the C natural to the F sharp. Stuff like that. Um, you could start like that was a, a B natural, an F, a C sharp, and a, and a G. So going up the strings. High second finger low, high second finger low. Um, and then with the different fingers, you know, like like kind of walking up and down the strings, like a one, two, one, you know, then maybe changing it up, doing a low second finger on the way back down. Um, you know, it can be kind of an improv improvised little warm-up sequence that you figure out. There are some books that have stuff like this. We have um, The Fingerboard Geography by Barbara Barber. I like that series, or it's, um, I don't know if it's a series, I think it's just one book actually. And so they have the different finger patterns, very similar to what I was doing in those intonation workouts. And then she goes into these finger marches um, doing different intervals, and it's not quite as, as complex as uh, what what I'm doing. Well, you know, actually, I take that back. I'm looking at it now, and um, yeah, she does mix things up quite a bit. So if you're not feeling as adventurous, or you just want to uh, mix it up a little bit and have something that you can, uh, you know, a starting point, then I would recommend this fingerboard geography. They have it for definitely violin and viola, and if you play a different instrument, um, guitar or something, I mean, you could probably, you could probably modify this to, to fit you as well. Um, all right. So that, um, that's that. And again, it's all about just getting those left hands and fingers and arms moving well. And, and you know, just taking stock of, okay, well, where is everything here? I have a good instrument hold. Now we're building it up. And okay, is my elbow, is, is my elbow moving at all? Like when I go to the G string, does it come under a little bit? When I go to the E string, does it go under the instrument more to the left a little bit? You know, is there like kind of a nice swing happening there? Am I totally locked out? And moving from the wrist is which is not what we want. Ow. <laughs> I just did that and my wrist hurt, so don't do that. Um, okay, let's see. Next would be shifting if you're planning to be doing shifting in your music. Um, the Whistler series is good. There was a book, Gaylord Gaylord Yost, Y-O-S-T, and I think it's out of print, but it was nice just going through all the different uh, you know, first to second position, second to fourth position, first to third, third to whatever. Um, just breaking them all down, but you can do that yourself. And, um, and it's a good idea just to really break down the anatomy of the shift. So starting with your starting note, 
you, then your ending note, and then everything that's in between. I did a video with strings um, pretty recently. I'm not sure if it's up on YouTube at this point, but um, let's see, how could you find that? I'm not sure if it even came out in the magazine yet. <laughs> All right, sorry, but um, it's out there. It's out there. Um, I'll, I'll find a way to, uh, to, to get a hold of that um, and tell you at some point here. Maybe not in this episode. But, um, but let me just tell you about the anatomy of the shift. So let's say we're going from, let's just do first position to third position, and we're just going to do a first finger. So your starting note, your B, your ending note, the D. Okay, and if you can't hear that, then I'd play it in first position. One and three, and then one to one. But between those notes, you need to make basically a harmonic slide. So I like to break it apart when students are first learning this. So you can just do it in three bows, do the B, and then actually play the shift. And then play your ending note. So you've got just to really make sure you're making that shift light. If you're doing it to a different finger than the starting finger, then you need to decide which finger is going to do the traveling. So let's say I'm going to go from that first finger B, but I'm going to go up to a second finger E in third position. So I can travel on that two, or I can travel on the one, and then place the two as soon as I get there. So this, uh, the first way would be what we would call a romantic shift, and if you heard it in a piece, you get kind of a little glissando into that second note, so it has a little bit more of an emotive quality. If you do the first one, we, we consider that a classical shift, and, um, and it's a little bit cleaner. You can actually make either sound just as clean. It's just when you're sliding up on that second finger, you can choose to have a little bit more pressure rather than just be really light with the harmonic pressure. You could, you could actually be a little bit, you know, or... You know, um, whereas the other one, since uh, there's a shift that's happening, a shift of fingers going from one to two, um, yeah, it just tends to, it doesn't quite have that glissando ability. At the end of the day, does this really make a big difference? Uh, yes, it does, actually. I mean, this goes all the way to the top of my pyramid with storytelling or interpretation, and um, and you need to be deciding where you're going to be moving, you know, which finger you're going to move on, you're going to travel on. Um, when you're breaking down these shifts, it could be in a piece, you know, you find a certain piece and you're having, a trouble, you're having trouble with that shift and uh, you need to break it down. All right, so moving on, next we have intonation. Now, why is intonation up here after shifting? Well, if uh, my, my thinking about this was that if you don't have the motions in your arm, we're going from like bigger motions to smaller motions as we go up the pyramid. So if you don't have that, that basic just, you know, shifting motion, um, you know, which uh, elbow opening and closing. <laughs> right? Um, then trying to find that intonation as you're shifting, um, the intonation is sort of, it's, it's a different topic and it requires that you have full facility of that left side. So 
that's um that's the the basic idea anyway um in the book i will go into a lot greater detail about all of that and if you take a lesson with me i will break it down much further than that but um moving on to intonation so intonation if you have trouble with intonation and you do vibrato first of all i would take that out and really just get to the core of those notes. Again, I've been talking about the intermediate intonation workouts. Go check those out. Listen to music that's in tune. Try and sing along with it, even if it's just in your head. Um, the first thing you need to do with intonation is develop an internal sense of good intonation. Um, if you're, say, if you're shifting and you don't hear the note you're going to, it's pretty doubtful you're going to get there. Um, if you're playing a piece and you're just relying on muscle memory to get you around the fingerboard, you're probably not going to have very good intonation. It's the ear that needs to direct the muscles to creating good intonation. And it's the ear that needs to tell those muscles, those fingertips, to move ever so slightly when it's just a little bit off. We're constantly adjusting our intonation. And intonation is not set in stone either. Sometimes we want to play more emotively and we want to have a close, you know, a close half step. Who knows? It's, it's, we're not locked into a tempered tuning system, say, of like the, the piano keyboard. We can really choose to alter the intonation a little bit when that seems most appropriate. But above and, and beyond, we really need to have an ear that is guiding those, um, guiding us to those pitches. So yeah, if intonation is a big problem for you, then um, the first thing that I would do is just listen, listen, listen. Immerse yourself in good playing. Um, get some good recordings, sing along, like I said, um, even if it's in your head, and um, record yourself all the time and listen back and try and figure out, get really good at figuring out if you're too sharp or too flat. And it'll take some time, but as you develop that ability, the times that you're out will become less and less, and the amounts that you're sharp or flat will become smaller and smaller until you're pretty much spot on all the time. No one's spot on all the time, <laughs> but um, but we can get to the point where we're we're pretty we're pretty good, and we never want to use vibrato to get us into tuning. So um, so if you you know as I said, if you are using a lot of vibrato, and the intonation isn't isn't the best, back off the vibrato, even though it will make your intonation issues even more apparent. And um, that might be very disheartening, but it will really allow you just, um, just the real baseline uh, pitches you know, that, you can, that you can then um, go and fix. So next on this left-hand side, we have timing. So timing is um, just the timing of those fingers falling. It's, um, you know, it's a little bit different than rhythm because sometimes we are holding a, f a finger down and playing a rhythm just on that note, you know? So, um, so the timing, when do we need to move our fingers where? Um, when we get into like triple stops and stuff and um, quadruple stop, then, um, then that timing becomes a little bit more tricky. So we need to just be managing the left hand side, being pre you know preparing, and um, preparing for what's coming next. Always be looking down the page, or if you're playing by memory, thinking ahead. 
so next would be, be vibrato. And um, if you're if you do vibrato, then um, you want to make sure that you have a variety of vibrato colors that you can start to add in. I mean, in the beginning, we're just trying to learn just the basic, you know. But sometimes we want to speed that up or slow it down. Or sometimes we want to start with no vibrato and swell into a vibrato. So just, you know, if you're going to break it down, um, especially when you're getting into the interpretive part of a piece, starting to think, okay, like, what do I want this vibrato to really sound like? Is it, is it serving the piece? Is it telling the story that I want to tell? So you could do a vibrato practice that goes through all the variations of vibrato on all your fingers. You could do the slow and wide vibrato. You could do the fast and narrow vibrato. You could do the, let's see, wide and fast vibrato, which is probably not going to be as wide as the wide and slow vibrato, but still. Um, and then you could do the, let's see, wide and narrow, wide and, no, slow and narrow vibrato. <laughs> slow and narrow vibrato. There we go. I had to think about that one for a minute. Barely moving your finger. That's basically moving into finger vibrato there. Um, whether you do arm vibrato, wrist vibrato, whatever, it really doesn't matter as long as it works for you. Um, when I start off students with vibrato, we, we spend a couple weeks figuring out what they naturally have a tendency towards. Normally within the first week or so, it becomes very apparent. I have some exercises that I give. And once we know that, then we can dive deep and figure out all the little details. And um, oftentimes there's little tension patterns in there that, that make it really challenging to do, um, you know, it's like speed bumps along the way. So we work through those. And, um, and then once someone has a really nice vibrato, either wrist vibrato, arm vibrato, then oftentimes it's nice to then go back and develop the other one as well. Um, cause there are times when it's, it's nice to have, um, have the other, they both have their advantages and disadvantages, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's really a personal thing and vibrato itself is a really personal thing. So you want to have all those colors, you know, and if your vibrato is just kind of one dimensional, then, um, then that's something you need to practice and you can practice that totally away from your 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 music or you could use your music the repertoire you're playing to dive into certain areas certain passages where you really want to have certain vibrato colors come out and um, and then you know use that to inform your more technical practice that's you know in general and I talked about that in the practice mastery number one it's really um, the repertoire is really in my in my book, in my mind, sort of a means to an end because you're always going to have more music. You know, if you just master one piece and you can't play anything else, what's the use of that? I mean, um, it was so frustrating. I have some college students right now and it's, it's just like, 
you know, just preparing for that next audition or that next jury or whatever, you know, and, and, and we can kind of lose sight of the big picture. It's just really, you want to be able to get all around your fingerboard with all the vibrato colors. And then we haven't even gotten to the bowing side here, but, um, you know, all the different bow strokes and just be able to plop any sort of piece of music in front of you or go to some fiddle jam session or whatever and not have these things holding you back. So building up the technical side of it and using your pieces to to inform that, to figure out where you need to go, where the where the stumbling blocks are. Um, that's that's going to be really the best use of your practice time. And of course you are preparing for um, performances or your next lesson or your next audition or whatever, but, um, but really, you know, making sure that you're not letting the technical side ever, ever slip away just to get the notes, you know? All right. So we have vibrato next. Um, next we start to move into the more, I mean, we have tempo, we need to get it up to tempo. So, um, so for the left hand side, you can do practices like, um, I had a practice to uh, practice tips a while back. And um, that one was all about employing different rhythms to get your finger velocity and uh, all of that good stuff up to up to snuff. Let me see when that was here. Add rhythmic variety. Practice tips number five. That was back in March 2011. So um, so go and check that out. I talk. It's a little tip that. Um, that helps a lot with getting things up to speed, especially on that left-hand side. And then at the very top of the period pyramid, we have um, we have our interpretation, and and that isn't up for interpretation. But um, hopefully, with all of this stuff under your belt, you'll be able to really start to craft your piece. You know, thinking about phrasing. Um, now we're really getting into the music that you're playing, you know. Um, can you pick, can you, can you break it down? Can you figure out what the emotions are in the piece? Can you, um, have, can you have that contrast really be apparent? You know, sometimes you're going from a really moody, sad, melancholy, <clears throat> you know, the, the lovers just broke up and now, you know, they're lost. And I mean, I don't know. I, I, I tend to, think very visually when I'm when I'm crafting a piece of music and I have a whole storyline and you know I just need some sort of movie screenwriter person to come and then we could have a great team but um anyway <laughs> um Actually, maybe I could do that too in my next life. All right. So, um, so I can't tell you much more about interpretation. If you want to come have some lessons with me, then we will totally break it down. That's one of the, the most fun things that I, I do in lessons uh, with people is really open their eyes to how musical it could possibly be. Um, within a range of, you know, we have a certain stylistic period uh, uh, period that we're working with, Baroque music or classical music or fiddle, you know, Appalachian fiddle music, whatever. Um, we have we have certain limitations sometimes, but then sometimes, you know, we are totally free. It's our own piece. Okay, let's bring that to life. If it's your own composition, we're free. All right. Um, so let's let's go back down to the bottom and uh, and let's work up this bow bow side of things. So we have basically everything that's laid out in the um, improve your your bowing technique guide that I did, and um, and that just works you up that other side of the pyramid. So I would go and and check that out. You can 
do chapter by chapter for uh, I think five ninety nine, or you could do the whole series, which is nine or ten lessons, and each video. Um, I don't know. They're at least 15, 20 minutes, I think. Um, so, so anyways, that whole series is $29.99, I believe. Get that through String Letter Publishing. Um, just go to my site, laurelthompson.com, and go to the writing page, or actually, um, yeah, go to the writing page, the tab at the in the navigation bar. Click on that first link. You can get to it through just the homepage too. If you read like the short little bio that I have there, there's a link um, through that. Um, anyway, improve your bowing technique. And uh, but I can tell you a little bit uh, some details here. Um, so we started with the bow hold. So creating a natural bow hold that's right for your anatomy, and I do that in the in the video series. Um, since this is audio right now, it, it would be hard for me to really describe um, how to how to set up this natural bow hold, but. Um, it's the, the Boeing side of things is, is quickly becoming one of my specialties. So um, it's really a personal thing. Um, you know, it, it's not like, oh, here, put your finger here, put that finger there, and then let's hope for the best. It's really like, okay, let's look at your hand. Let's figure out, um, you know, there's certain principles that we need uh, in order for our hand to be able to use the bow as a tool. So let's figure out how you can set your hand up most effectively in order to have the most variety of bowing strokes and the most natural, pain-free, completely pain-free um, setup. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really not complicated. It's just, it's personal. So I would have to, I'd have to kind of do it with you, but the, the Boeing guide series is a good place to start. And that's just the natural, um, just the first one is, is uh, creating the natural bow holds. It's kind of cool. I talk a little bit about the history of, um, the different, the different bow holds as well. And, um, had to do some research there and, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely pretty interesting to, to hear how all the different bow holds develop. There's um, kind of three main bow holds and then um, that has become more like two main bow holds. But this natural bow hold that, that, I, that I set up for students is, um, is really personal and, um, and it works because I'm, I'm working on the, the principles that you'll need. You know, Each finger has a job, so how can we get each finger working so that it can do its job well? So that would be um, that would be at the bottom there with the bow hold on the pyramid. Next would be the right arm finger and wrist movements. So we need to make sure the mechanics in the bowing arm are all working as they're supposed to, and we need to we need to know what each part of the arm is supposed to be doing. And um, I go through all of this in the bowing guide and uh, talking about the right arm mechanics, and then. Um, you know, how, how the different parts of the arm work together, which is, is really important because, you know, let's face it, when we have one joint moving, it creates an arc, but we want to have a straight bow. So if your bow is sliding around on the strings, then um, we need to look, we need to look back at the arm. You know, we can't just force the bow to go straight. A lot of people think, okay, well, let's just create a really tense bow hold and we'll just force the force the bow to stay on the same spot on the string. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it and we really need two joints moving 
um, working together in order to get a straight bow. So a lot of people um, tend to lock the elbow. That's a place to look if you're having bowing issues that relate to um, keeping the bow straight, particularly, or yeah, if you tend to bow at an angle. Um, there's a natural tendency, I've been talking with students about this recently because we've been discovering this, um, you know, if, if there's fear involved, um, and it's, it's, a, it's an unconscious fear, you know, but we want to play correctly. And um, if you are, let's say you're out in the jungle and you're about to be attacked by, you know, a crazy tiger or something, you're going to contract those elbows, you know, and like you're going to pull your arms into your chest in order to protect your vital organs. So when we're playing violin, I mean, it's kind of crazy, but you know, when we're playing violin or viola or, you know, probably this happens to people who play other instruments as well. I, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to talk to, talk to a whole symphony and, and see what they experience. But, um, you know, this, this tendency to kind of lock out, really it's the muscles in the upper forearm that just lock out that elbow and then we're kind of stuck, you know? What has to take over is the shoulder and then we're bowing at this incredible angle, the bow is sliding back and forth, the sound is horrible, um, it just snowballs. So that's really something that's been coming up in lessons a lot recently and, um, and that would be a good place to check for issues. Um, also the fingers. The fingers, I think about the fingers of the bow hold as being the shock absorbers. So, you know, you can think about the analogy of like going off-roading in, um, in some crazy, you know, one of those ATV things or whatever, whatever they're called. I don't know these things, but, um, you know, it's like thinking about going over, you know, primitive roads and rocks and, you know, climbing up boulders or whatever. And uh, if you don't have shocks, then it's going to be an incredible bumpy ride. And your bow, you know, if, if, if this arm is that vehicle essentially, and your bow has no shocks, then you're going to get a lot of jitters. The bow is going to be sliding around potentially, um, just all sorts of stuff um, that you don't want. So, um, so those fingers really need to be there and be flexible to um, to manage and refine those motions that are that are coming from those bigger muscle groups up the arm. Um, places where we tend to lock out a finger, which makes all the fingers lock out. The thumb, if it's locked out. The first finger, if it's up into the joint that's closest to the knuckle. If we're kind of like wrapping the first finger around the bow, and you know, if you start to get a white knuckle there, you definitely know you're doing that. And the pinky is also one. If the pinky is straight, the pinky isn't. People can actually get away with a straight pinky and still have some flexibility sometimes. Um, but it's it's hard, you know. Those are really the the three major ones, and um, and those are the ones that they really can lock out. I mean, the two middle fingers um, that kind of provide that fulcrum for essentially a seesaw in your hand. That action between the pinky and the first finger being that seesaw. Um, those two middle fingers, they you know kind of they're naturally just going to be curved. But um, those other three, watch them. Watch them like a hawk. Do not let them lock out. And check out that bowing guide if you if you do have a bow hold that that naturally, well, I would say unnaturally, but naturally for you right now has one of those fingers or more locked out. Um, so then moving up the pyramid even more, we have bowing modes is what I call that, and that's um, essentially 
essentially the different things that would give you dynamics. So we have four different, four different qualities that would, that would, can we can kind of mix and match to give us dynamics and in certain bowing strokes we would need to have some of them be a certain way um hopefully this will make sense to you in a moment here so first of all we have where you place the bow on the string the sounding point so is it closer to the fingerboard is it closer to the bridge depending on how fast we're moving the bow which is another of the bowing modes um or how much bow you're using. That's the same same idea. Um, we might want to be closer to the fingerboard or closer to the bridge. Um, that could be a whole nother topic. And I went through dynamic stuff with a few students this last week, and we spent an hour each on this particular topic. So, um, but yeah, so, so where you place the bow on the string, how fast you're moving the bow, if the hair is flat versus tilted, and I'll give you a huge tip that will help you with if you're sliding around as well. Notice that from the bridge, the strings slope down away from the bridge. So just to have flat hair, to have um, even contact on both the inner edge of the hair and the outer edge, your bow stick actually needs to be tilted a little bit away from you, a little bit. Um, if you have, uh, you know, it varies by instrument. If you have one of these like really arched, like. German instruments, arch top, the belly kind of goes up, you know, between the F holes, it really arches up. Then um, oftentimes the angle might be a little bit, um, I think, more pronounced. And so you might need to tilt a little bit more. But, um, but in general, if you want to have flat hair, it's just a little bit tilted away. And then if you wanted to go and just use partial hair, say if you wanted to get really soft and just play pianissimo, then you might just um, keep tilting your, your bow out and go onto just the outer edge, so the, the edge of the hair that's furthest away from you. And then our next bowing mode um, is just pressure, how much pressure you're using. And pressure and bow speed, really, they interrelate a lot too. Um, so if you are playing with a lot of pressure and not very much bow speed or not very much bow, then you'll get that crunch. That's where those crunches come from. So you need to spread that pressure out over a greater area of bow hair. And um, if you are using a lot of bow and hardly any pressure, then that's not gonna create a very good sound. So, um, so those ones interrelate um, really directly. Um, but yeah, all of that is in that bowing guide. Next we have the bowing strokes and there is such a range of bowing strokes. I'm not even going to go into that right now. We have detache, just your basic on the string stroke. We have the legato strokes, um, you know, basic, basically slurs. We have the martelet, like an accented stroke. Um, you know, making sure, I mean, you could just do a bowing stroke practice, doing all the bow strokes. That's what I did for like six months, just every day. I would do the round robin technique, which um, I talk about in another podcast, which was when, that was more recent. Anyway, you can go back and find that. But yeah, basically just going through all the bowing strokes again and again, and um, you know, bouncing bow strokes, spiccato, sautier, ricochet. Um, yeah, so bowing strokes, they all have different personalities. They can all offer you different expressions and they all have certain challenges. So don't wait to find them in your pieces. Uh, you should definitely start, start just 
practicing those alone. Um, and you can do it with the Boeing guide or, you know, there's uh, a violinmasterclass.com. They've got some good videos too. Um, but then, yeah, if you find different bowing strokes in your pieces, say, you know, let's say we want to, this happens a lot, move between an on the string stroke to a bouncing stroke. You find this in some orchestral piece that you're playing. Can't think of any examples off the top right now, but um, just breaking it down to, okay, let's do open strings. I mean, this whole bowing side, essentially you would break, you know, break these two sides, um, you know, left hand, right hand, down to just the most basic stuff. You know, we did the tapping of the left hand, just trying to get the basic motions there. Um, now with the bowing side, we need to maybe just take the left hand out of the equation and just do open strings. So if you have a passage and maybe it goes, I don't know, something like that. Um, so breaking it down to just the open strings. So we would have, gosh, and it's a little bit more complicated than I was intending for this example to be. Um, I'm just making this up. So what's on the A, what's on the D? I had a little up up in there um, the second time I went off the string. So it would be, let's see. So that would be the first part. Da 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 da. Um, so getting the right, you know, are you getting the right tone that you want? Are you in the right place in the bow where you want it to be? Are you getting off the string when you want to get off the string? And then we had, um, so da 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 da. Mm. Up, up, down. That's what I did at the end. So. You know, um, so anyway, just breaking it down, and again, this could be a place that you you find you know, a passage in a piece. Okay, let's break it down. If you if you have the the bowing, if if this expression that you're getting is not what you want, break it down to the open string. Okay, so then we have rhythm, and um, you know that that fits in with the beat, um, playing with a metronome, hopefully. Um, you can also get creative with it too. You know, you could find some sort of um, drum track or something that you could play along with. Um, that could be kind of fun. You know, just make sure it's in the same timing, four, four, three, four, whatever you're playing. But um, but rhythm, the bow side of things is rhythm. So I have definitely seen people kind of use the left hand to inform what the right hand's doing as far as rhythm goes, that's never a good idea. Don't wait for the left hand. Remember on the left hand side, we had the timing. Sometimes the timing of the left hand is very different than the rhythm of the right hand. So that example I gave you, you know, we're just holding down a single finger on the left hand side. It's the bow that's doing all the rhythm. So um, so have a driving rhythm, have the, have the bow really, um, really drive the rhythm. <laughs> and sometimes the, the bow is behind, you know, we want to, we want to be behind the beat. Um, we're doing some bluesy thing. I don't know. But, um, but make sure that the bow is, is the one that's, that has the control, has the reins. 
So then um, we would have dynamics. We're starting to move into that storytelling, um, you know, dynamics. Um, that's using those bowing modes I talked about. So uh, making sure that you can combine them, how fast you're moving the bow, how much pressure you're using, where you're playing on the string. So fingerboard side versus bridge side, how much bow hair are you using, being able to just really craft that. So it's, you know, you get a full range. Um, I don't know, let's see. So really starting to work on that, that storytelling and finding the character of your piece and using your dynamics and your vibrato and the different bow strokes and the different articulations that you can do with those bow strokes to start to, to really craft your pieces. And if you're focused on learning the notes and playing them at the right time and hopefully getting up to speed with your tempo, but you never think about that bigger picture of really needing to convey something through music, then you're always going to be at that technician level. So, you know, when, when we're first starting out or when we, we've been playing for a while, but we still have a lot of struggles for, um, for just getting a good tone or, um, just, staying in tune, um, it's still, I, I think it's still helpful to look at that bigger picture and to figure out what you are going for. And that could be something that you do listening to other recordings of that piece, or if it's a certain fiddle style, listening to other examples of that, that fiddle style, you know, I've been, um, kind of diving deep with some different, um, some different styles myself recently. And it's been really helpful to, to listen to different examples of like a blues fiddler or, um, what does it sound like to really be like an old timey fiddler? Like, like just, just sort of, um, immerse yourself in, in those sounds and then figure out, okay, you know, what, what of that do I want to bring forward in my music? And uh, so when we get to the top of the pyramid here and kind of the big picture of your practice is really that preparation for you to go and tell a story. It could be a story that you're going to go tell for your teacher next week. It could be a story that you're going to go and tell to 5,000 people in a big concert hall. But it is a story. And if you don't know what story you're telling, then everything else, all of this practice, it really is meaningless. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what, what really is the purpose of music? It's, it's to tell, it's to tell a story, it's to share, it's to, um, connect through, through sound, you know, and convey things that we can't convey in words. So, um, so take it to the next level. 
<laughs> That's my pep talk for the day. Take it to the next level. Even if you're just trying to get the bow to stay in one spot on the string, which my gosh, it's just, you know, can be so frustrating or the intonation, you know, um, you know, what I would say, make sure you're recording yourself when you're practicing, listening back. Um, I do it all the time and it is so helpful. Um, I'll just record a little passage, listen back. Did that convey what I wanted? You know, maybe it, maybe it's a stylistic thing. Maybe there was an issue with the intonation or something. I, then I'll know. I can go back, try again, record it again. Did that do it? No, maybe there's another issue. Record it again. You know, just keep listening back. And um, you really very quickly realize exactly what you need to do in order to, in order to convey what you're thinking. Oftentimes it stays in our head and um, we think, oh, I'm making this big dynamic contrast, for instance. Record yourself. Oh, it doesn't, it didn't make a difference. You know, that's your audience. The recording is your audience. So, um, so practice with that recording and, uh, and that's practice for your audience. Um, I think that's it for today. If I think of anything else, we will do practice mastery number three. And if you have any thoughts on any of these topics, please send me an email or go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Laurel Thompson music and post your question or your idea or where you went with this podcast and how it helped you or didn't help you. Um, I'm open to that stuff too. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, and just, just, just go and, um, get involved in, in hopefully conversations that can happen over there on Facebook. Uh, so facebook.com Laurel Thompson music. I believe I am one like away from two fifty. um, getting up there. It's good. It's good. So go like my page too. Just click like in the little banner there below the picture and uh, I will be a very happy camper. Um, you can go to my website, which I've mentioned, laurelthompson.com, L-A-U-R-E-L-T-H-O-M-S-E-N. I mentioned the Boeing guide. I also have a improve your violin and viola technique guide now available through String Letter Publishing as well. Um, I haven't linked to those on my site yet. I need to do that. But um, but if you find the Boeing guide, you should be able to find that one too. Talk about vibrato and shifting and a couple other topics that are more um, left-hand focused. And please, if you are at all interested in having a lesson with me, I would love to help you out. So send me an email, laurel at laurelthompson.com. And I do have some spaces open. So um, so yeah, come come on down. Let's Let's do this. Let's make a difference. I leave no stone unturned, as you can probably tell. Uh, yeah, we will figure it out. So also, if you're interested in that book that will eventually be completed, hopefully this year, uh, this pyramid I've been talking about, and um, that's just one one small part. Well, actually, it's a pretty major part of it, but um, I build off of that and go into some other things and practice um, tips and stuff that I'm not giving out on this podcast because I need to save something for the book, right? Um, actually, I've probably given tons of little tips already from, from that, but um, go and sign up for my mailing list and then you'll be one of the first people to know. I also have a CD that's going to be finished in uh, the end of February, beginning of March this year. Um, so definitely get on the mailing list for that. You can go to my site on every page. There is a sign up for Laurel's mailing list thing. It's in the upper right-hand corner 
And if down the road you decide you want to unsubscribe, that's really easy as well. You can just go in there and manage your preferences. If you change your email address, you can just go in there and change the email address. It never has to go through me, which is awesome. I did that kind of a mailing list for years, and that was really annoying. Um, not that people were were unsubscribing all the time, but just um, just managing the whole thing. Mailchimp is awesome. Yeah, if you ever if you ever need to do a mailing list, um, I think it's free for up to two thousand emails, something like that. So, um, so yeah, you can definitely get up there and, uh, and just be coasting along. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I certainly enjoyed putting it together for you. And until next time, I'm wishing you a very happy practice.